the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's a Friday show and it's a special show today. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. And all we need you to do is call us. Now, don't call quickly, and I'll explain why in a moment. But our phone number is 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, Always, if you are in your car and you're driving, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Now, here's the catch. We're not going to take any questions or calls, at least in the first half hour of the program. I've got two very special guests. I've got Wanda Croft, who is a daughter of mine here at Calvary Chapel. I've known uh, Wanda and Scott and her family for a very, very long time. And Jennifer Smith, who is the executive director of the South Texas Alliance for Orphans. And we are going to get their heart. Wanda, Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi there. Wanda, let's start with you because I know your story. I've been blessed by it for a very, very long time. We're here to talk about um, the kids who, as I said earlier, the most vulnerable among us, uh, those who have obviously penetrated your and Scott's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you do? Let's start off. Tell us your story. What happened? Your <laughs> life changed. <laughs> um, definitely. Um, it's funny. We... Since we got married, we just always knew we were called to adoption. You know, there's just so many, um, there's just such a need. There's so many great kids out there that just need a decent set of parents. And I thought we at least met that standard, decent. (laughs) 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 But, um, you know, just more and, and more, we had our own children and I wanted to grow our family, but I didn't want to. I just didn't feel like I, I needed to have more babies to do that. Like I just knew that there's children out there who were, who were just looking for a family. And so, um, you know, Scott and I tried once and, and we did like straight adoption and, um, we got licensed for straight adoption cause we knew we wanted to make it permanent, but it didn't, uh, happen, you know, for a solid year, we, we, we questioned, it's kind of sad. There's a, a website. I don't even know if it's still on Jennifer. You could tell me, but they have pictures of kids that are available for adoption. And just like they do for, you know, for dogs. Yes. For, <laughs> for dogs. And, and I would, I would, you know, go through these pages and I'd, I'd request information on the different kids. And, um, they, they, no one ever called us for a solid year. And I was just floored that, that here we were ready and no one called us, but, um, you know, it was, it was abundantly clear why not, because 
Um, at that time, Scott had some hesitancy. You know, we had Trey, who was a, a toddler at the time. And, you know, you know Scott, Scott kind of put, put the brakes on it. He's like, I don't think we're really ready like I thought we were. So I totally agreed. I'm like, if we're not both on board, then we're not. And, and I, I just trust you. And um, thankfully, it took about three or four years and him getting older and then seeing, you know, one of the other families here in our church who adopted a, a, a sibling group of five. We were just blown away with that, that, you know, at that time, I remember we were on a walk on Christmas Day and I'm, and I'm like, we're not getting any younger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to have any more energy. We, yeah, we energy, to, energy actually helps in this whole process. Yes, definitely. And so, um, anyway, um, the Lord has made it clear at that time it was the right time. And at this time, we were we were like, okay, well, let's foster to adopt because obviously that's the more necessary. What that's what's more needed. And you know that's scary because you're, you're worried about well, what if I take these children in and then the the parents take them back and you know, the heartache that my own biological children would go, you know, go through on t- as well as mine. But um, over and over, just the scripture that I, that, that always brings me just um, um, uh, comfort was just, the, you know, the Lord didn't give us a spirit of, of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. And, and uh, I just kept thinking that I'm like, God's on our side, Scott, you know, God's on our side. If, if we're called to foster and whatever comes, you know, the Lord is with us and, and we just need to take a step of faith. And so, you know, thankfully we, we got licensed. It took us about 10 months. You know, it could take as short as like 30 days or it takes people longer, but it took us about 10 months and, um, praise the Lord. He opened the door and, and, uh, Carlos and, and Jasper came to be part of our family. You know, uh, one day, I don't know if you if you remember this, but, but in those years of waiting, mm-hmm. um, we had a conversation, mm-hmm. uh, you and Scott and I. And it was it was about Hannah, mm-hmm. who who wanted a, a baby with all of her heart, and uh, her husband's other wife was able to produce babies. And and, and what we talked about was was uh, Hannah was being prepared by God for a special child, not just a child, a special child. Mm-hmm. And God had a plan, and God was preparing her heart. And it sounds like the process that you and Scott were going through, just to get you to the right place at the right time. Right. Could, right. could I ask you? Um, um, your 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 biological children. What kind of impact uh, bringing Carlos and Jasper into your home had on them initially? Ooh, <laughs> that that was. I mean, uh, that's like earthquake. Yeah, it it that ha- uh, first year was definitely rough. Uh, you know, our, our youngest went from being not the baby anymore to the middle child, and. Um, it took us a, a lot of patience and, and understanding uh, for us with him. Um, and the the funny thing is, they're very similar in personality, <laughs> very very similar in personality and energy and energy. <laughs> yes, but um, what was sweet though is seeing my you know Sabina, my daughter. Um, she just she immediately just really took to Jasper, who at the time was probably he had just turned five, and just she just had this motherly instinct with him that was so sweet and she never showed that before so it was really awesome to see her that that instinct come out in her and was always so just really tender with him you know you know good big sister but also at those times when he needed that tenderness you know it was there uh you know for for the audience we uh we at our men's retreats um we we choose men to do devotions Mm -hmm. and after scott had gone through this process, God preparing his heart and then and then introducing him to the kids, getting to know them, and then to have the kids in the home. Uh, Scott gave what I still think is the best devotion we've ever had at one of our men's retreat. Mm. I mean, he was crying, we were crying, yeah. but it really demonstrated the heart of God for the lost and the hurting and the vulnerable. And mm-hmm. uh, it was clear what God had done in giving both Scott and you that very same heart. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing thing, amazing thing. Jennifer, what could you explain to the audience what you do? So uh, I help churches start foster and adopt ministries and kind of fill the gaps in our community. A lot of what we do is awareness in the church space about the need for the crisis that's going on, 
the uh, really the call of the church to be involved in the ways that they can get out in the community and do that in the lane of foster care because it's very much a full continuum. Um, most people hear the word foster care or adoption and they're like, not for me. Um, and that's fine. It is a, it's, it's definitely something that's specific. You should definitely hear from the Lord, just like, um, Juana was talking about with her husband. It's a, it's a calling, but there are spaces for everyone to do something. And so that's what, as the Alliance, we get to help walk alongside churches to say, okay, great. If you're called to foster, we're going to support you. If you're not, here's the other ways that you can get involved to serve the families that are fostering, that have adopted, that are kinship families. And here's the things that you can do out in the community to serve all the other people that are in this lane because uh you just can't read the bible and find anywhere um that's not that this is not god's heart this is such his heart to be about this business and the marginalized and the oppressed and the lonely and there's just so many scriptures about it i mean most people quote the one in james but throughout (laughs) the whole bible you know love your neighbor um there's just so many ways that god shows his heart for this population of of children and families and the church just wasn't aware of the need because it's, you know, just kind of, it's hidden. They, they don't have a voice. And so they don't, you don't hear about it. And that's what we get to be for them. You know, I immediately have two comments. One is, this is a step of faith. Romans 5.5 5 says that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. And, and if he's poured out that, that depth of love uh, into our hearts uh, for the people he loves, then what we've got to do, all we've got to do is have enough faith to sort of access that, that, that love. It's not something, oh, I don't know if I could do it. This is, this is, as you said, a calling. The problem with the calling is that we've gotten too used to, especially in our culture, in a, in a world of, well, every day is the same. We're in a routine. We're in a rut. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to take any chances. I think too many believers uh, fail to ask God. And, and what I hope will happen in this, this, with this program and in the hearts of people is that they will say, okay, Lord, is that something that you're asking me to do? And without guilt, and this isn't a manipulation, right. uh, but, but, but it's just we, every day, our, our, one of our mottos here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is, Lord, what about me and what about today? And I just don't think many Christians ask that. I think we get it. We do what we're going to do. And there is a glaring need out here. I mean, there is a, 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 a need that is beyond our ability to comprehend. Right. And that's where I've seen in the church, and it was our personal story, but I've seen it in every, a lot of, many of the churches that we work with is that it was not a, oh, we're not stepping into that space. It was a, I had no idea. Yeah. How can we, you know, get involved? And so that's been encouraging and exciting, but that was part of our journey. That was part of our personal journey as a family, stepping into fostering, adopting, and then even walking our our own church at the time into it, and and countless others. It's just been, oh, I didn't even know this was a space that I could step into, and um, so it's been encouraging to see that. Why don't you take a few moments and talk about your personal journey here? Yeah, so we moved down to San Antonio for me to go to um, grad school, and did that. Graduated. I'm a physical therapist by trade. I don't do it anymore. But um, started doing that. I had we had biological kids, two girls, and I read a, a newspaper article in the San Antonio Express News that talked about this girl who had been abused and neglected in her home, and then had been placed in foster care to only to receive further abuse and neglect in the foster system, and it made me angry. She was aging out, and the state of Texas was giving her a check and like abdicating their role as her parent now, and it just made me angry. And I because I just had no. Um, understanding of that space it had never i was born and raised basically in the church been in the church since i was could walk i'd never heard it from the pulpit anything about children in foster care we'd heard i'd heard about orphans over the ocean but i hadn't heard about them in my neighborhood and so once i read that article it just really stirred something in me and tried to pray it away for about two months (laughs) a little (laughs) argument with god he was like because basically i'd say like i really said like you should do something about this. And God was like, yeah, you should. And I was like, no, 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 not me. I have a three-year-old. I have a one-year-old. I have a career. Like, not me, not now. And so literally for two months, it was a, you know, an argument in prayer about why he got that wrong and we should postpone this or pick somebody else. And it couldn't shake it. Talked to my husband. Needless to say, by the end of that year, we were in classes, became a foster parent, started fostering. And another poignant moment was the lady that taught us to be foster parents was agnostic. 
And we got in the classes, started doing, I was like, have you ever gone to churches? Like, we need to tell churches about this and, you know, they'll get involved. And she said, oh, I've been to churches. Nobody shows up at my meetings. And it was just another one of those, like, oh, like, where's the church in this conversation? And so that is what ultimately led to the Alliance. In the beginnings, it was just a grassroots. I knew other foster families that were other churches. And um, we started a ministry at Grace Point here in San Antonio in the medical center. And other people heard about what we were doing there and asked what I was doing. I was like, I don't really know. I just kind of handed off what we had been doing. And it kept multiplying um, that way, just very grassroots. And, it, and again, I kept seeing, oh, it's not that the church doesn't want to be involved. It's that they didn't know. And we've got to give them the awareness, the tools, the uh, resources to do this well, to get involved. You know, it, it's interesting that you'll have no problem finding churches that, that are on pro-life platforms and very vocal about it. And, mm-hmm. and, and yet you're right. There's, there's almost nothing no. about the need that's out there. And, and now we can, we can expand into human trafficking and runaways and, yep. and, and immigrants who, who come across and lose contact with their families. Um, and, and it's our responsibility as believers to wrap our arms around those who are the most needy, the mo- ones mm-hmm. who are in the most trouble. Yeah. And and foster kids. You said something uh, a moment ago in, in passing. You talked about kids aging out. Yes. Talk about that because that to me is a human tragedy, what we see going on in the foster care system. It is. I want to touch right on what you said with the um, uh, pro-life movement. Really the pro-life. Uh, Jesus is pro-life, but he's not pro-birth only. He's pro-life. So we can't just be a church that screams that you should have the baby and then be like, good luck with that, because that that is not the heart of God only. So, um, but yes, the through the end, youth that are aging out. So, what happens if a kid comes into foster care and they don't get adopted? Their parental rights are terminated. None of their family is willing or able to take them in, and they're just basically raised by the state of Texas. At the age of eighteen, they age out, which means the state of Texas is like, you're an adult now. We don't have to take care of you, um, and they get a check some money, a few thousand dollars, and they're on their own. And so they're considered adults. Well, what happens is most of 50% of them haven't even graduated high school. In the first year, majority of the guys are going to be incarcerated. 70% of the girls will be pregnant by the age of 19. Um, our prison systems, our homeless population are full of children who have youth who have aged out of foster care because they didn't, they don't have anybody in their corner. They don't, they are one job loss, mental health crisis, you know, bad relationship away from from all the other systems that the church, by and large, is actively a part of. A lot of churches serve in homeless ministry. A lot of churches serve in the prison population, which they should. They just haven't figured out the upstream of that, and the majority of that is coming out of foster care system. You are listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. This is a special program uh, highlighting a need, and, and, and uh, unashamedly, our, our hope here today is that, that God would place a burden on, on some of your hearts out there, and you'd maybe go to your pastors and say, well, well is there anything that we can do? Um, you know, um, Wanda and Jennifer, when I think about burdens, and Wanda's heard these stories, all of them, but, but uh, all of the ministries we have here at Calvary Chapel started with a burden that God put on my heart. Um, education, uh, a free school was the result. Um, the difficulty with getting adequate med- medical care uh, affordably. Um, God said, well, how about you do a free doctor's office? And all that stuff is crazy, and yet it starts with a burden. And the burden that's on your heart, Jennifer, uh, is, is one that, that uh, obviously you need people yes. to, to accommodate. What can churches do for you, and individually, what can Christians do for you in in this process? So, great question. Uh, on the church side, really, it's becoming aware of the need and making that a regular part of your rhythm throughout the year. So you're putting that in front of your congregation, whether it's weaved in with sermons or it's stories. Really, that lead pastor has the opportunity to say, hey, this is our need in our community and here's people you can connect with here's ways you can get involved Um, that's really the pastor's role in this space Um, ideally they have a person in that church that has done it or is actively involved and they can point them to that a church can also just identify the families that are serving in this space 
um, foster families, kinship families, adoptive families, caseworkers, and just check in on them. Like, what do you need? How can we pray for you? Can we set up meals for you? Can we, you know, send, do some yard work for you? Like, how can we help you? Because you are, you are a local ministry missionary in our community serving on the front lines. And as a church, we support our, our, our missionaries. And so we want to come alongside you. So those are some of the ways that the churches can get involved on the individual front. If you know a foster family, you can become a babysitter. There's a training process um, here in San Antonio. We help with that through our babysitting collaborative, but you can become a verified babysitter. So when I wanted to go out on a date night with my husband, though my mom <laughs> lived next door, she could not watch our children in foster care because she hadn't run the gauntlet of the procedures that you have to do to be able to do that. So you can become a babysitter and help a foster family have a night off. You can, um, you know, everybody in the church basically knows what to do when you give birth to a baby. They bring you meals and they throw baby showers and they do things. But when you're birthing a nine-year-old, they get a little lost and they don't know what to do. <laughs> so it's very similar. You know, they need meals. Chaos is erupted whether you bring home a, a, an infant or a nine-year-old. All your rhythms and routines are, have to be adjusted. So um, anything that you would do when, a, when family would bring home a newborn is the same thing you can do when somebody brings home. Uh, you know, a sibling group of three or whatever, be, just be a support, go mow their yard. You just save them an hour that they can now, you know, connect with the children in the home. They can sleep. They can, you know, just, you buy them margin. And so there's ways to do that. Um, that's, and individuals can do other things outside of the church. You can become a cost advocate and be an advocate for kids in the courtroom. You can be a mentor. There's various different organizations that serve as mentors for youth that are aging out, for victims of sex trafficking, um, there's that's what I say that there's so many ways to get involved that literally everyone can do something. Yeah, one of the elders in our church was um, the the head of, and I I don't recall his title exactly, but he was the head of CASA, mm -hmm. uh, the child advocate organization here in town, and um, that, that's that's for us personally when that need first we, we first became aware of it we also have and i think this is probably true in every church we have a lot of grandparents uh -huh. who've suddenly become parents yes and um here's just a, a hint out there when you're a grandparent age the energy that you need to mm -hmm. to be a parent to young ones sometimes is missing mm -hmm. and uh and there's a lot of people in the church that can come alongside and help them talk about we got we're i think about four minutes left in this half of the program um to talk about the process if, if somebody's listening and they say boy i i can help i can't foster or i can't adopt mm -hmm. but i can help those who do what's the process you said it takes some time What's the process? So if you want to babysit, the, we have a babysitting collaborative. Um, you can connect a lot of ways through our website because there are just various needs. So um, the alliance, the number four orphans.org, you can connect with us that way. Um, the babysitting collaborative, uh, we're done with it in 2021, but we'll, we're coming back online February 1st in 2022. So you'll, you'll find that event on our website. Actually, we have an interest form right now if you're interested in being a part of that. Um, you can hop on there. Um, talking about grandparents, there's a great organization called Texas Grandparents Raising Grandchildren. If you find yourself in that spot, um, I, you, it would be great to connect with them. And if you know a grandparent raising grandchildren, then volunteer to take them to the park and wear them out. Volunteer to <laughs> volunteer to tutor them. I am a dog. It'll yeah. <laughs> volunteer to tutor them in the new math because even me, I don't know this new math they're they're doing. You know, um, teach them how to use technology. Like there's that those grandparents that are raising grandchildren right now, bless them. I mean, on the backside of COVID too. Goodness. So yeah, all, all the support. Can you? All the support. And, and we we had several in our church who right at the beginning of finding themselves uh, now the, the parental figures. Right. Then COVID happened, oh. and they're all locked in a house together mm -hmm. and, you know, ready to scream. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I just think it's it's that important. Um, um, Jennifer, one other thought. What What is the biggest need that uh, exists right now? Um, if somebody's saying, well, well, how do I start this process? What's the biggest need that your organization can fill uh, in, in terms of providing help and guidance? So the biggest need is more foster families and specifically more foster families in the um, elementary, middle school, high school age group, 
taking siblings. That is not for everybody. That's a very specific space. Um, but you know, people that maybe have raised, they've launched a set of kids, maybe biological kids, they're empty nesters. I think they are ideal for this place. And those are the kids that if they get they're in foster care over the age of 10, they know they're aging out. They start preparing them to be adults. And, and that's the heartbreaking part. So if you, you know, if you're, you find yourself in that space where you can take some older kids and really give them the time and attention and wisdom that you have from raising, you know, maybe children before that is the biggest need in foster care right now. We have kids sleeping in hotels and, um, shelters because there's not enough homes. I mean, we need 800 and over 800 homes right here in San Antonio. And if somebody says, well, I, I think I'll give that a try or, or prayerfully they consider it. And this is, this obviously has to be a matter of a lot of prayer. hundred percent. And you, if you're married, you and your spouse need to be on the same page. Yeah. Uh-huh. Believe me. Yes. Uh, if in fact that's, uh, that, that's the biggest need, uh, what's the first phone call somebody makes? I'd says, call you know, an, I'm pursuing. I'd call another foster parent and, and ask their advice. Who are they, who are they fostering through? How can I serve you? What are the ways that I can do? And if not, contact us. We can okay. connect you. Well, there's the music. We're at the end of the first half hour of the program. We will open the lines up for calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. If you have questions for either of these ladies, feel free to call. We'll be back in two minutes. to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday show, a very special show with Jennifer Smith, the Executive Director of the South Texas Alliance for Orphans, and Wanda Croft, who is an adoptive parent of two wonderful boys, Carlos and Jasper, uh, and uh, uh, in addition to two biological kids. Uh, Wanda, let's start with you. And, and your phones are wide open. If you have any questions or comments about this, you're free to call. Wanda, when, when you first began investigating the foster process, mm-hmm. you probably weren't thinking about adoption, or were you? No, I was. You were? Yeah. So you, you, you had a goal. Yes. Find some kids and keep them. Yes. Yep. That was the goal. Talk a little bit about the process. You know, um, we were, you were talking about where people can fill a need. I mean, you know, we're, we even had, uh, sometimes a stroll. There's so many classes you got to take and you just need a babysitter for your kids. So you can go to all these classes, <laughs> you know, and, um, and you know, you hate asking over and over the same person, but I think that's another need that you don't even need to have any, like, you know, um, verification done on you or, or, or uh, checks like that, you know, um, did you know somebody who's doing a, uh, who wants to, who's doing foster classes, like just step in and be like, well, what can we do while you're doing that? Because it does take time. It took, it was like at least, um, eight or nine hours of classes. But, um, to get back to your question, you know, you were saying, what, what was it? What was it like? Um, well, it, you, now, know, now you, you, you ended up adopting brothers. Yes, yes. And actually, our situation was so, so awesome. We actually, there were four brothers involved total. And there was another family who um, was fostering two of the brothers. So it was great because we were able to keep them in each other's lives the whole time. And so we, they adopted two and we adopted two. And uh, we are still in touch with them. And um, it's, it's wonderful for them because at least our, our boys don't feel like they've lost all their family. You know, they still have their two brothers that they get to see, you know, on a somewhat regular basis. What's the, um, now I, I don't want to share anything that I, that I shouldn't share, but I remember Scott's devotion mm-hmm. uh, at uh, the, the men's conference, how his heart was touched by the experiences of the, of the two boys mm-hmm. that you adopted mm-hmm. and how, how that just changed his whole outlook on things and it was at that point that his heart was so open, he couldn't do anything but say, okay, these are my boys. Yeah, yeah. Well, so come to find out, one of them, we were his eighth placement. Oh. And then the other one, we were his ninth placement. Oh. 
I mean, that says a lot right there. Oh, my goodness. That says a lot. In my my son at five years old, not even, he was, he was three weeks shy of five years, um, had been at nine or eight different places before he landed at our house. Oh. So, you know, but I don't want to just... I, like the ver- like this verse came to me today as I was thinking about we were going to come on here. And I love Joel 2.25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. And the Lord has just totally done that, you know, and he's going to continue to do that. But, you know, um, we have to catch up. We have to help these boys catch up on all that they've been missing, right? So making up for the love, we're making up for the fun that they've missed out on, the, the stability, just the stability of the same thing. A, a family routine, the stability of making friends and having those same friends, um, that and then, and then discipline. Discipline's and, the, the big one. Let I me think, ask: with eight and well. nine placements with the kids, what was the average time in in each of the placements? Somewhere a year. Sometimes they go. Um, sometimes a couple of months. You know, the um, it just depends. You know, the the foster family that. Um, uh, that they came from only wanted middle schoolers, you know, and that's one of the reasons they called us and, and, um, you know, Jasper came to live with us and, um, and it's been hard. I mean, for sure, you know, and there were times when we're like, when we were having those really real bad struggles and, and we're going to bed and, and we start questioning, like, are we the ones that, you know, we're supposed to adopt these boys. And, um, but then God makes it, made it clearly it's like no it's hard for a reason and that is why they're here because we're in it for the long haul it wasn't we're not going to call and say hey come take them back you know that's more important than i can Mm -hmm. communicate and if if you don't mind i'll take a moment to talk about this you know we we can't make commitments lightly and we we can't just try something out let's Mm -hmm. see if it works and that's why this has to be bathed in prayer. Jennifer, you talked about that in the first half of the program. And and when God says, yeah, this is what I've called you to do, it's not probationary. Mm-mm. It's not something that you can change. I mean, these kids need stability and they need consistency. And most of all, they need love. And uh, both of you have adopted. So talk about the, the, the trust that needs to be developed. Um, you know, the kids always trying to, to at least outwardly um, prove to themselves that they're loved and this is going to be different, not going to mm-hmm. be the same as all of the other instances. Um, what's that process like when you see a little tiny broken heart that just has never truly been loved mm-hmm. the way that God wants them to be loved? And then God is asking women like you and your husbands to, to kind of sort of stand in the gap for those kids. What's that process like? Either one of you can... Oh, rough. <laughs> yeah, it's rough because it, when you have been, I, it's almost like they've been pushed off a cliff so many times. They've been, they've been told you're staying. They've been told we love you. They've been told we'll take care of you. They've been told we'll be here for you. Call me mom. Call, call me, me mom. Dad, yeah. Call me dad. And then something happens. Usually their trauma comes out in, you know, behaviors. And at some point the family is like, you're too much. You're too much. You're not worth it. And that's what these kids hear a lot of times, whether that's what the foster family means or not. I've known, you know, families that have gone through really rough spots and, and, and I don't want to shame any of the foster families that have had to say, we, we can't do this. We're, we're not the right fit. But, um, to a child's heart, what they're hearing is I'm not worth it. There's a guy named, um, Josh ship and he tells his story and he had been in dozens of homes and he said he had a log or a book when he was in middle school and he tried to get kicked out as fast as he could because mm-hmm. if it, it the longer they stay the more it hurts when you oh. give up on me and that it's not if in their heads it's when yeah. mm-hmm. and so i'm just going to try to get this out of the way real quick so i'm just going to let all let it all hang out and hopefully you'll just give up on me like everybody else has and i can move on because attaching and loving and trusting is way scarier than doing this whole life on my own. Yeah, and you know, when, when, when they're in a Christian home, and, and I'm, I, I can only address that with, right. with any certainty, but when they're in a Christian home, um, they get that, that image of God right. in their brains as well. God can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. God can't love me. God's going to give up on me. And uh, as you said, it's just easier. Well, let's just get the disappointment out of the way and I'll be out of here. And uh, it's just a matter for them of survival. I can't imagine how difficult it was. Wanted to talk about some of the adjustments in your home, if you don't mind. Um, 
Well, definitely space. We ended up having to move into a larger home because we were all on top of each other. <laughs> um, just new, new, the way they ate, the things that I cooked wasn't what they liked or what they were used to. Um, and I had to adjust, you know, make adjustments well, for I, that. I've eaten your food <laughs> and your bread. They were wrong. Okay, let <laughs> me <you> say that. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, it's everything. Um, but every every rough time that any of the kids had, all any of the four of them. I mean, all I could ever just keep explaining over and over. It's like I can only do so much. You, you need to take it to Jesus. Even if you're five, you need to take this to Jesus it, it, and, and he's going to help you. And I just kept trying I, every time I just try to push them back to the Lord because it is going to be an adjustment and every, someone's always going to be unhappy. But the day that we adopted was spectacular because we, the two families adopted at the same time. And this is really tender. Um, at one point, uh, one of the other brothers was up. Uh, they were they go up to the judge and, and the family stand in front of the judge. And so we did it first, and then we stood back and watched them get adopted. And um, Carlos saw his other brother get adopted. And I just remember I looked over, and he had his hand and his his, his uh, hand on his face, and just kind of looking down. And it was just like the. It, and I'm like, "What's what's wrong? Are you okay?" And he's just like, "Finally, like <laughs> it's just finally it happened, you know." And oh my gosh, it was so vivid. I still remember it, just like I was still there. And um, and these are the thoughts that he has, he, you know, because um, they, they're not going to share everything that they've gone through. And little by little, they open up a little bit more. And, and uh, you're just blessed that they get to they trust you a little more over a period of time. It doesn't happen quick and like it's still occurring, you know, and um, but I'm just so thankful for. I'm just so thankful that they finally got the stability that they needed. And, and Carlos and Jasper have been in your home how long now? We're going on four years. Four years. Mm-hmm. Four years. Amazing. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you have any questions or comments for Jennifer or for Wanda, uh, or any questions about the fostering or the adoption process, we'd love to have any comments that you might have. Let me ask both of you, and this is more directed at you as as Christian women. Uh, what's the best thing that God has done in your lives, in your hearts, as a result of saying yes to this calling? Jennifer? Yeah, so I I always like to tell the story. Um, there was a moment in fostering. We had had a little girl for over a year. We'd gone, run the gauntlet of the, the, the process, the legal process, and we had gone to court, and um, the biological mom, unfortunately, she had her own story of abuse and neglect and so it, it was no wonder that, you know, this had played out the way that it has. Um, biological family oftentimes are just repeating cycles that they experience themselves. So nonetheless, she had really not changed anything that in her life, been able to change anything in her life that brought her daughter into care. But we got in front of the judge and she checked enough boxes and he said, we're sending her home. And she was, you know, she was less than two years old. So I got in my mom's car because she had had my SUV and I got in my mom's car. I was sitting there on the top of a parking garage and I was shaking my fist at God and I was mad. I'm like, you called us to foster. You called us to protect this little girl. And now you missed it. Like you messed up in that courtroom. (laughs) You're letting her go back to the same situation that you brought her out of. Like I was mad. And it very much was a fork in the road in my faith of, do I really, really, really believe God is who he says he is? He can do what he says he can do. And he loves these kids more than I do. Or is this all a crapshoot and I've got to figure it out myself? And it was definitely the most poignant. Like I have a tattoo on my arm that says anchored hope because that was the moment when my hope, my faith was anchored in not my abilities to figure it out and pull it off, but in, in trusting God. And the, the cool story is that on that day, God answered my prayers. Because then two years later, we're still fostering. I get a phone call. They've pulled her back out. She has a little brother and a little sister. They've also pulled out. And we took them back for 10 weeks. They ended up moving to grandparents, and they're doing great to this day. So it was one of those, like, God was like, I'm saying yes, but you're going to have to wait. (laughs) And because I need to get the other two out. And so first Corinthians four, two says it's required that every man. And I would add in this case, women given a trust by God must prove faithful. 
So that's part of the process. Oh, it's a faith journey. I don't yeah. know why you do this if you don't love Jesus. I, know. I really don't. <laughs> I, I, don't I have no idea. I, have, I, have, yeah. I don't know how you do it. I don't know why you would do it. Because it is, it is something our culture has lost. We don't know how to suffer. Like we don't, we, we just want to get comfortable and we fight tooth and nail to make the most comfortable life we can. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, we're not loving people the way when Jesus says, love, you know, love others the way you love yourself. Mm -hmm. Nobody would ever let their kids exist in that foster care system or anybody that you love for that matter. Yeah. And yet we don't, we, we don't, we count the costs too much. We don't suffer. We don't, we aren't willing to step into that and Can suffer with Can I add something to kids. that? Yeah. Um, one thing that I noticed when our kids come to stay with us, it, it was, um, they, they've been, they're programmed, they're trained to just receive gifts and they're just given stuff and, and people want to give a little bandaid, you know, make them feel better and give them a backpack for this or, you know, things like that. And, and it's a blessing, but what they need is relationships. hundred mm -hmm. percent. Yeah. And, and that was, that was, um, it was kind of hard to train it out of them. You know, like, like we don't need everything that's offered to us, you know, kind of thing. And, and, uh, I don't know. It just, I just think sometimes we, you know, it's, a, it, it's just an easy, it's an easy fix to do that, but it, it, it doesn't last. It's like those children need relationships more than they need presents or, or stuff. You know, it was just, they don't need more stuff. In, in the message I did last Sunday, I started off with Barbara Streisand's "People Who Need People mm -hmm. Are the Luckiest People in the World." <laughs> uh -huh. but, but that's yeah. the need. We we need to know we need people instead of looking at people as the enemy mm -hmm. and and trying to figure out a way on our own to get by. And Jennifer, you said it's a, a faith journey, and oh. and that's the most important thing. Let's mm -hmm. take a break. I'll come back to you, Wanda, in a moment. We got Phyllis holding on line one. Phyllis, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Wanda. Hi, Jennifer. Um, Hi. Wanda, as you know, I talk with you about uh, fostering. Yes, ma'am. Um, and um, so I decided that maybe fostering was not for me. I did take all the classes except for my first aid, and I still have the package to, you know, do all the stuff for my home. But I was concerned as being um, single and not having that other partner to to raise the a child and i still didn't know what age that i wanted but i my heart broke for that so what i did i started working with through project i i went through the training there i did the um uh, fingerprinting but then um it seemed like they dropped off the face of the earth i've call several times with no return call. I went down to the office and it was locked probably because of COVID. Uh, but mm. I still have a heart for the children. I just don't know what role I should play. I thought that maybe being a mentor uh, for the kids that were about to uh, come out of, of fostering, you know, to help them, you know, um, be on their own, help them manage money, you know, walking them through this. But, um, since then, I've not done anything. And so just listening again to the show today has uh, touched my heart again. And so um, just wanted to know what to do since um, I said that I would, I know Pastor Ron would always say he was 60-something, he was old, and now I feel his pain. And so um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I am uh, 67, and I don't know if God I have the stamina to, to handle a small one, but my heart still is for the foster children. So I'm asking you guys, what do you think is best, giving all that information I just told you about? Thank you, Phyllis. Jennifer, let me ask you, apart from getting uh, Phyllis married really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> to a younger man. <laughs> to, yeah, 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 to a 20-year-old, a lot of energy. What, what, what counsel would you give somebody with this kind of a burden on their heart? I and obviously, I know Phyllis, and this yeah. is a, a heart of gold. Yes, Phyllis, uh, first off, that's amazing that you're still pursuing mm -hmm. this after hitting some roadblocks. But I would say um, an organization to look into is CASA. Um, and they, uh, I actually know the CEO there, Angie White. She's a great lady, and she herself was adopted. 
she's amazing. But that CASA Advocate is where you get to meet the, the, the child that's in foster care. You get to meet the foster family, the teachers, the counselors, the biological family. Um, you, you get to meet the attorneys and then you go into court and you write a report and you are the one that are the voice of that child in court. So if they need physical therapy, OT speech, if they need more counseling, if they need, uh, you know, a switch in school, like you get to be their voice and you also get to be the voice and saying they're doing great with their parent child visits. Mom's doing really good. I think she should go back. The foster placement is a great place or they need this room. You know, this isn't working out. You really get to be their voice in court when, you know, four, five, six, seven, they, they can't testify on their own behalf. They have all these other adults um, speaking on their behalf. And uh, a lot of times the ad litems that are assigned to these kids have dozens and dozens of cases and they don't necessarily um, know all the details. So as an advocate, you get to be that, that their voice in court. So I think that would be a great fit for you. Phyllis, thank you very much. You know, the, the idea of... Um, we call them Titus II women here at church, older women uh, mentoring younger women. Uh, we just had a case where uh, in at Manor House, uh, a young woman who just came to Manor House um, just delivered twins, and she uh, just got saved, and she's really excited about her walk with the Lord, but there's literally a village of people that are, that are there to help. Um, you know, she's realizing that, that they want to eat all the time and, Mm -hmm. and sleep doesn't happen much. And, and now she's trying to figure out who she is in Christ and this thing, but, but people like Phyllis and people with other hearts, there's no end to, to the ways that they could minister in a situation like that. Yeah. And like, Mm -hmm. uh, my, my mom and stepdad are like foster grandparents. Not only were they for my kids clearly, because that's their grandparents, but also for other people who, you know, that may not have grandparents that live in town. You know, there may be foster Mm -hmm. families who you could just be the fun foster grandma. Like you get to play that role and spoil them and let them stay up too late and eat food they're not supposed to and, and be that peace for them. But so there's a role in that too. If you know some foster families that maybe don't have other family members in town to help out. Well, our time is going so fast. We're inside now five minutes. When I want to get to you, what's, what's the, the, the most important thing that you think God has done in your heart, in your life Mm -hmm. as a result of taking this step of faith? Oh my gosh. He just doesn't stop blessing. Those boys came into our home and it felt like they were always there. I mean, it, it really does feel that way. Uh, it's not I'm not saying that it was, it's been easy. It, it hasn't. But it, they've completed our family, you know. And um, my kids are learning a lesson about sacrificing it all, you know, just compassion and, and, and uh, what we're called to do. Like Jennifer said, you know, um, we're not, it's not supposed to be easy all the time. But, you know, the Lord blows me away. He's so faithful. He is so faithful and he just continues to give and he just gets bigger and bigger to me. Um, I guess he's just, he's just grown my faith because he just doesn't stop. You know, one of the things I think we forget, Jennifer talked earlier about, about we've lost the concept of suffering, Mm -hmm. uh, making sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul calls that sharing in the fellowship of Jesus's sufferings. But I, I think we've also lost the sense of um, risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yep. American Christians in particular, we like it to be comfortable and easy and predictable. Mm-hmm. And walking by faith never, ever is. But mm-hmm. both of you, had you never taken this step of faith, how much would you have missed just in your relationship with God? Forget mm-hmm. about the, the blessings of the kids and the love that comes pouring mm-hmm. from them. But but think about what you'd have missed, and you'd have just kept going and never known what you missed until you got to heaven. Talk about that, Jennifer, will you? I mean, I just don't think you ever really know the Lord until you've suffered, until you've gone through something hard, and he's proven everything that he says in his word is true, and, and mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. And, yeah, I just, and at, when you're saying, what have you learned from the Lord, I think also... I was I was raised in West Texas, bootstrap, pick yourself up by your bootstrap mentality. And so when I got into foster care, I was very judgmental. And I had my middle class white eyes on. And I thought, how dare you treat your kids that way? How could you ever let, you know, some guy beat up on them? And the more I got into it, the more I was like, but for the grace of God, go I. Mm-hmm. Like, I, had I lived her life, I would be sitting in this office visiting my child. And it just, the the openness and the compassion and the empathy and just trying to start seeing people the way Jesus sees them. I don't know yeah. that I would have experienced that in any other arena. 
Mm-hmm. One. You know, I, I remember um, one of the ladies' retreats I was on right before um, Jasper came to live with us. And I just remember sitting there, and I came back. Like the first the first lecture we heard, it was just, this is not about you, Wanda. This is, this is not about you. <laughs> I wish everybody, if they take the time to hear the Lord, all our prayers are me, I, yeah. you know, Lord, what have you done? And, and, and the Lord's response is, I'm, this isn't about you. Nope. This no. is always about other people. Yeah. And, he, and, and he's faithful to take care of me. He's over and over. As I'm saying, he shows off constantly, even though it's not about me, you know, um, or at that time it was, it, and it, he was just preparing me for that. I just came back realizing every time how hard it was that first year, especially I, I would just sit there and be like, it's not about me. It's not about me. <laughs> you know, I think, I think one of the hardest lessons for us to learn is is really believing. I mean, we can make intellectually make a sense to it, but really believing Jesus when he said, if you find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for him, mm-hmm. then you'll find it. And and I think that really speaks to, to fostering and adoption and caring for those who can't care for themselves because that's when you're most like Jesus in the process. And Wanda, you know I have a personal stake in this mm-hmm. because uh, watching Scott teach Carlos to work Carlos, I've hired him as my our, our gardener, and watching him work and seeing him change, and both of the boys are at the school, and uh, we we get to see the wonderful changes. It's just been a blessing, and those kids have changed immeasurably. Yeah. In the time that we've been able to know. Mm-hmm. Well, Wanda, Jennifer, thank you for being here. By the way, you can tell people this show will be archived. And if you want to point people to it and listen to what was, was shared, um, we invite you to do that. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. It's Friday, so go to church on Sunday. Help somebody else. Be a blessing. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.